You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Hey, welcome to Friday. It's a great-looking Friday. However, it is a weekend without Alabama football. I know we had an off week, but this is no Alabama football for the first time since the end of August. So uh, that's kind of cool because we can kind of get some R&R here. But on the other side, it's kind of empty as I go to the weekend. we got Army-Navy tomorrow, and that's very cool. And, Lars, you could go into great lengths about the Army-Navy game. But first, let's just welcome you into the show. And how's everything going? Did you get all that Christmas shopping done yesterday? I did. I went crazy. And, Are you serious? Uh, you I did. me angry. I did. I spent uh, about five hours going around town and also uh, going online and hopefully getting things that my kids will like. You know, you know how it goes, though. Christmas morning, they'll play with stuff for about an hour and then just ignore it and never play with it again and you're like why did i spend all this money all this time rapping you know but it's uh hey christmas for young kids is just pure magic there is nothing like it and so uh tried not to go over the top but i probably did go over the top oh, well you know it's all about the kids you know other than the obvious meaning of, Christ, of christmas and the birth of christ but just a quick question on Christmas and Christmas morning. Did you ever have to do the assembled thing until 3 o'clock in the morning and then get up two hours later? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yes. That's uh, that's the only thing nightmarish about Christmas. Is, you know, <laughs> there are times when you think, I'm, I'm really just not going to get this done. I'll just leave it unassembled. But yeah. anyway, uh, that was, <laughs> I tried to put together a bicycle one year, and uh, I, I think it's still in part somewhere in Helena. But anyway... Lars, what's going on in the world of sports? Last night, I was watching Ramsey and Gulf Shores, a high school football championship game, while you were watching the National Football League, and you wanted to reflect on Mac Jones and his future. Yeah, so Mac Jones was benched, and uh, Bailey Zappi started the game, and he played really well, uh, better than Mac Jones has played all year. He threw three touchdown passes in the first half, and a two-win Patriots team goes into Pittsburgh, which is a very difficult place to play. Pittsburgh has everything to play for, and because they're still, uh, as of uh, before the game yesterday, they theor- theoretically were in the playoffs, and they lose. Uh, New England wins the game 21-18, and I think you can safely say that uh, the Mac Jones era is over, in or in 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 New England, and you know, first off, did it, he's been benched four times, uh, and in uh, eleven starts uh, this year, uh, he threw twelve interceptions, and it, it's just uh, I've been trying to figure out like what what happened here, what happened. You know, uh, he is the third worst QBR this season, only ahead of Bryce Young and Zach Wilson. He had the worst QBR when not pressured. Um, and he was four of 29 on passes thrown 20 plus yards. And he was off target on 48% of those throws. Uh, his footwork was bad. He's skittish in the pocket. 
He's been making just baffling decisions. And so what happens here? I mean, certainly um, having three offensive coordinators in four years hasn't helped. Uh, having um, a, a offensive line that is continually uh, dealing with injuries and, you know, different guys filling in at different spots, that hasn't helped. Uh, uh, having skilled position players around him, that hasn't helped. But Zappy comes in and does a great job. Clearly out, outplayed anything Mac Jones has done all year. And I just, uh, I just don't know if, if, if a year, I mean, look, Mac Jones is just two years removed from a Pro Bowl rookie season. But now I don't, he, this has no clear future in football. Um, now what, what comes next? I mean, maybe he could be like a, a Jared Goff, right? Who his career, uh, cratered, uh, with the Rams and then was traded to the Lions and that gave new life to him. But for every Jared Goff, there's a, a Carson Wentz, there's a Josh Rosen, there's a Zach Wilson. Um, and then there's guys like, uh, 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 Tua, right? Who started slowly and then he's soared. Um, you know, and then there's also just like the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Mitch Trubisky, uh, guys who just are kind of, uh, they're, they're okay, but not necessarily starting level players. Uh, maybe Baker is, but that's, that's even, uh, Debatable at this point. So what what has happened? I mean, it's just uh, I I think I I think he's lost confidence, and I think he's yeah, it it is a big deal. When he drops back to pass, as opposed to when he was at Alabama in that sensational season, his final year and the first year in the NFL, and he's in the pocket. He used to think I can squeeze this in there. I'm confident. I'm going to complete this pass. Now he drops back in the pocket. He's going, oh, no, is this going to be intercepted? And you can have all the athletic prowess in the world, but if you lack confidence, you're no better than the rest of them. You know what I mean? And you you nailed it. I mean, there are all the other deciding factors that you just mentioned, the changes in coaches, uh, you know, the personnel around him. But Mac Jones has lost his confidence. He has, and I do think he uh, needs a change of scenery. Uh, and that was just very evident last night. Um, again, with, with Zappy playing pretty well, um, you know, but if you're a Patriot fan, it's almost like you, you want to tank the rest of the season. Cause as we talked about yesterday, um, you want to tank the rest of the season because the quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft, there's a, there's quite a few guys who really could be special. Uh, I really like Drake May. If I had the number one overall pick, he would probably be my guy. But Caleb Williams, uh, by most uh, scouts' account, will be the, the top overall pick. And he just announced that he's not going to play in the bowl game uh, for USC. And I, I certainly don't fault him for that. Um, but remember, you go back to the draft when Mac came out. We thought that San Francisco was going to take him at number two overall. Instead, they take Trey, Trey Lance. Well, Trey Lance has already uh, been cut by the 49ers. 
and uh, 49ers end up taking in that same draft in the seventh round Brock Purdy who right now it's just it's this is amazing you know the last player drafted Brock Purdy is the front runner to be named the NFL's MVP this year right now like in Vegas he's the, he's the leader and uh and and uh Trey Lance is now with the Cowboys um so I mean Matt Jones I I do think he's going to have like a, a 10 year maybe 12 year career now is that as a starter maybe not but Certainly, he would be an upgrade for so many teams as a backup. And I think it would be good for him to sit a little while and, again, go to a new team. But he's just not playing anywhere near like he did when he was leading Alabama to the national championship. He's going to enter the NFL transfer portal. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. there's there's nothing left to write about this book. I, I'm not demeaning Mac Jones in any any way. I kind of throw some shade on the Patriots too. But he needs oh, a fresh start. He needs a totally new look. The Patriots need a new look. A guy like Zappy can come in there and look like Mac Jones as a rookie. That that says a lot about what is around him. You know, the yeah, are not and bad, especially defensively, especially defensively, especially at home. And he just made some incredibly precise throws and and threw with with authority, with confidence. And um, not saying that he is going to be the the future of the franchise, but I think he is the future for the rest of the year. And I would say that it's Mac Jones didn't wreck himself. I would say that the New England Patriots wrecked Mac Jones just by how they managed him. I remember his offensive coordinator last year was a guy who had never been an offensive coordinator before. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what I don't know what Bill Parcells has been thinking, but um, yeah. And also, will, will Bill Parcells be the next head coach? Will he be co- coaching next year? For the Patriots, that's also an intriguing. Yeah, excuse me, Bill Belichick. Will Belichick be the next? Uh, will be? Will he be coaching next year? Gosh, get that out. Have you uh, Have you heard the latest news on Belichick? It's something I didn't think I'd ever hear or see, but it's going to happen on game day. That's coming up. Also, what a guest lineup we have: Roger Schultz, former Alabama center. Laura Lee's got to join us. Hey, it's Friday. Laura Lee Thompson. And then at 1.30, I'm very excited. Leon Douglas, one of the first five, is going to be on. It's a great Friday show. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Hall Mortgage. She's the mortgage miracle worker. Back in a couple. Tuscaloosa weather. A partly sunny, pleasant afternoon. The high today, 65. Mostly cloudy tonight. A few isolated showers around the low 53. Tomorrow, mild and breezy. A chance of showers during the day. Strong thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night. The high 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 64 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Portions of our show are brought to you by the Bama Broker. 
Larley Thompson. She'll join us in about 45 minutes to talk about Alabama football, basketball, whatever's wearing crimson. But uh, she will be with us. And again, Roger Schultz in just a few minutes. And Leon Douglas, who is going to be a part of a really cool event Monday. I'll fill in the blanks on that. Leon will be on with us at uh, 1.30. And Lars, I grew up watching Leon and, and the teams Alabama put on the floor in the 70s. And he's just one of my all-time favorites. That entire team, which consisted of uh, T.R. Dunn, Booney Russell, Ray Odoms, Leon, and Charles Cleveland. They were the first five African-American players to be put on the court at the same time. All starters in the history of the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, in our lives, Lars had said, oh, golly, was that a big deal in 73? Well, yes, it was, unfortunately. But uh, they were a great basketball team. And, and Leon is probably one of the top five players to ever wear crimson. So uh, I know a lot of guys and, and gals my age will be looking forward to that. But uh, I know I am, too. I just talked to him this morning. And what a great guy. And he's looking forward to it as well. Now, Belichick is going to be the guest picker on game day. That's just not a role, Lars, that I see Belichick in. Well, maybe he is uh, testing the waters of joining the media. Can you imagine Belichick in the media um, yeah, for it's next the year? Grump and grumpier show. Yeah, but you know what? Everything, and this is based on a lot of reporting. Like, at, like with Nick Saban and so many other coaches and high-profile people, there's there's a version of themselves that they present to the public when they are behind a microphone or in front of a microphone. And there's a completely different version of them that is real, you know, when they are talking to people in a, at a, at a dinner party or in his office. And, and I think you will see that he will, uh, you will really see his personality come out in a way that is rare. And also, you know, he, uh, his dad coached for many years at, at the Naval Academy. And so, uh, it, it kind of makes sense. He's got big ties and he coached at the Naval Academy and he learned everything. His dad was known as a, as, uh, one of the premier scouts of, uh, of, of talent in, in the country, uh, for his, uh, very long, uh, coaching career in college. And, uh, and Bill, I think, inherited a lot of that, even though he has missed now on, on so many picks. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and something that I'm just seeing that really intrigues me is that there are multiple outlets saying that uh, former Ohio State quarterback Kyle McCord is 100% listed as going to, drumroll Matt, Michigan. You know, University of Nebraska. Really? Are you excited about that? I'm very excited about that. He was uh, one of the top uh, players coming out in the class of 2021, I believe it was. And it's been, uh, there's a lot of speculation that this is going to be a, um, a package deal with, uh, uh, Ohio State wide receiver Julian Fleming who was a five-star coming out out of high school and the number one receiver in the class of 2020 and the number four overall player in the country. He's entered the transfer portal. Julian Fleming 
also appears to be headed to the University of Nebraska. Those, I mean, and those those would be two of the top guys that are in the portal. Did you say package deal? Do they do that now? I guess they've been doing it, and I've just been unaware. That that well, they're they're close friends. You know, they've been on uh, the the team together. So that is uh, the the word that uh, is coming out of Lincoln right now, being reported by people who I trust. So pretty interesting, Uh, and and again. We'll see. Can do you think? Okay, let me let me ask you this question. Based on what we saw at Auburn, and how many transfer, how many players they got out of the transfer portal, it was kind of like this grand experiment. Would you call that grand experiment a success or a failure based off of one year? I would say it served its purposes. Uh, so I'm really middling it here. Um, there were times, uh, you know, Peyton Thorne looked really, really good. There were times he just looked flat out awful. But they filled in some slots elsewhere. Um, he's kind of using the portal the way a lot of coaches used to use junior college. You get this guy in here to fill a certain slot that you're not deep in. And so that's what he's doing with the transfer portal. But he really wants to build his base out of the recruits. And that's where he's hitting the trail right now. And I, I think that is their method to success moving forward. So I don't think I answered your question as far as a yes or a no as far as success is concerned. But I, I guess I would call it mediocre success and amends to an end. Did I just say that? Yeah. A means to an end or a means to a future. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is a way for a teams to dramatically improve themselves look at florida state look at all the kids that they got out of the transfer portal um and so it it is uh you know when coaches got hired uh after taking over and you know get hired to take over a struggling program in the past they would say that they had a five-year plan well now you can't really have a five-year plan because you're not going to get five years you will get three years most likely maybe not even three but you better be able to turn things around within i'd say two to three years and a way to do that is the transfer portal and look and even though colorado ended the season uh in a pretty bad way i think losing their last five games based on the fact that they only i don't did they win a game last year they may have won one uh it was one against nebraska no, last year. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't play no, Nebraska. Thought, they didn't uh, play Nebraska last year. Um, but uh, anyway, I would say even though Colorado ended the year with a dull thud, it still was a successful year for Colorado. Um, and a lot of that was just because of the attention that Deion Sanders got. I even saw uh, somebody joking that if the college football committee really wants to get a lot of eyeballs on the playoffs, they should bring in Colorado <laughs> because Colorado and Deion Sanders, for whatever reason, even though they're terrible, they get these incredible TV ratings. Yeah, Deion lit the fire, but boy, that was extinguished about four or five games into the season. Yeah, so, but you know, I'm looking online. I see he just got the number one offensive tackle in the entire nation. So I think his recruiting is going to continue to build the Buffaloes in the right direction. So, 
that's uh that's where that is right now um did you see also uh, i know locally here in, in alabama jacory brooks has decided to enter the transfer portal that might have been the first name on my list as far as uh who's going to go ahead and go as quickly as they can so he's entered the transfer portal it's just it just shows you how things can shake up in just a couple of years because a couple of years ago he could have given walt maddox a good run for mayor but um now he's going to go and 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 in much the same as mag Jones, he needs a fresh look he's got the talent he can go somewhere and play and then i don't know how much of this i'm really going to buy into marvin harrison hasn't decided whether or not he's going to go to the draft are you buying that buckeye uh maybe i don't know uh i wouldn't think that he would slip but i, I, I how much so you say he's not going to enter the draft uh he said far, he's undecided he's yeah undecided I, it, well it, it, i don't know what his nil situation is i mean if, if he is making three million a year in nil and he's really enjoying and staying in college and then you know he gets this huge insurance policy i wouldn't it's not as risky now as it used to be because of nil but if he has just a major nil deal um or deals plural then uh, why not stay I, I i don't know that's a good question but you know he's never beaten michigan and so he may feel that there is unfinished business and Every time that kid steps on the field, it's clear that he's the best player on the field. He is, he is incredible. Yeah, is there think, another player out there that's more NFL ready? Brock Bowers? Brock, yeah, Brock, a healthy Brock Bowers. Other yeah. Other than that, you know, I, I think he's just kind of throwing that out there. I'll bet he goes. I'll bet he enters the NFL. I bet, I bet he goes too. I bet he yeah, goes too. I mean, and he's probably getting really good in it. Probably heck. He's, getting great nil money but it's not the kind of money he's going to get his first it, well, he'd be a first two or three pick maybe yes. five top five. Oh, i think he would be top three he'd be uh, the highest yeah he would uh, well it, it depends on which teams are drafting there uh because you're going to want to get those quarterbacks as quickly as you can caleb williams drake may um john what about Jaden daniels Jaden Daniels, he'll he'll go in the first round. I think Bo Nix will go in the first round. Um, yeah, I know I'm forgetting. Uh, we it. could it's like two we, others, and probably have to use both hands. The number of quarterbacks are going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL. Coming up on Big Noon Sports, Roger Schultz. You're going to love it. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hi, baby. 
Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Coming up up. on The Game with Ryan Fowler. On the Friday edition of The Game, we'll do a free-for-all Friday sponsored by Brian Harden Construction. No SEC parlay pick contest. We'll do a free-for-all. We'll talk to Brent Beard. We'll also talk to Rico Beard. We're doing back-to-back with Beards. And we'll break down this big game with Alabama and the Michigan Wolverines from their perspective. All of that starting at 2 o'clock here on The Game. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The Game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Hey, one week from today, Town Square Media, that's us, that's the Bear, that's WTBC, that's the whole nine yards of it based out of Tuscaloosa. One week from today, presenting Elvis Christmas Show, Jerome Jackson tribute to Elvis Presley. That's one week from today, 7 o'clock. You can go to druidcitymusichall.com. Obviously, that's the venue. And get your tickets now. You better hurry. All right? What a great way to celebrate the holidays. Speaking of singing, let's welcome in Roger Schultz. Roger, it's Matt and Lars. How are you? Man, I am doing wonderful, man. I, uh, I tell you, I got distracted. I was going to pull over in Flomington where I had a good signal. My son called me. I got distracted. You called. And so now I'm floating in in Escambia County going to Atmore. For, uh, but it looks like I got a good signal. So I'm doing good. Good. I want to tell a quick story. When I was thinking about Elvis and singing and all that, it reminded me of a karaoke adventure. And you should know, Roger, that Lars is a big karaoke guy. He'll get up there and he'll do some prints. Uh, he'll he'll sing it. Uh, he'll bring it. Wow! But it reminds me, many years ago. Friend. You remember this? Remember this, Roger? Many years ago, when you and I were doing the Steel Dogs game, after a Steel Dogs game here in Birmingham, we decided we'd go out and have a beer. So we went to a little place in Hoover that's not there anymore. It's called In Cahoots, but they were doing karaoke, and yeah. we were. We were jabbing at each other, daring each other to do it. And we dared you. And you said, I'll do it. I'll do anything you want. So they brought the book yeah. over and they let me decide. And they didn't tell you until you got up there. When they called That's your name, right. then they told you the song. You remember what the song was? Hey, I'm awesome. No, I don't know what it was. It was What's New Pussycat by Tom Jones. What? Oh, my. That's one of my favorites. Oh my gosh! I knew how to say, hey, listen, I'm a big Tom Jones fan now. Big Tom Jones fan. So I love it. I love karaoke. 
My first trip to Las Vegas, I was with uh, my mom and my brother in a little lounge in the at the MGM, and uh, it was late at night. Suddenly, doors close. In comes Tom Jones. He sits at the piano and starts singing, and he and he plays uh, the Pussycat song. And my mom really? was so overcome. She looked at me. He's like, "Should I take off my panties?" I'm like, "Mom!" <laughs> <laughs> that was wow. the craziest thing my mother ever said to me. Yeah, yeah, like, I would no, hope mom, so. Put a couple, yeah, put a couple more pairs on, please. Just. <laughs> yeah. How about that? She's going crazy with Tom Jones. I'm, you know, oh, yeah. I had a new Tom. stepdad. Good <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, Roger. First question. Where were you? What were you doing on 4th and 31? Well, I was sitting in my house watching the uh, Alabama game. And then I was cussing very loudly. And uh, Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah, wh- why do you think that play worked for Alabama? Because I don't know. If you go back and you look and you look at Milrose's face, he seemed confident, which, you know, I mean, but it's so funny because, they, they you know, I always flash back to the whatever, the second and 26, you know, when Tua got tagged. I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to, what is the world is he doing? And then, I mean, it just kind of replays itself, right? A bad snap of this. I was like, what are we doing? You know, oh, my God. I said, well, well, we don't have to worry about the, you know, getting in the playoffs. And then, lo and behold, man, he threw that thing. He threw it, I mean, on a dime right to where it had to be. And, you know, I understand they practiced it and they showed the, you know, if you look, you know, they showed some video of it in practice. But it wasn't, the, it wasn't exactly the same thing. But, uh, they knew where to throw the he knew where to throw the ball and the receiver was there. It was unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable. Right. <laughs> Lars, uh, Did I we've it all was watched. Unbelievable? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was unbelievable. Um, Roger, we've all watched the progression of Jalen Milrow. It's just been fantastic. I want you to evaluate the progression of the five guys up front. Well, the progression of the five guys up front starts with probably the progression of the quarterback. Uh, the, the offensive, and I, I've been saying this all season. First of all, Dalcourt struggled. All right, he was in there at guard and he kept struggling. I said, I don't know why, because they would do combo blocks and he's like literally blocking against the center and missing linebacker. I thought, why don't they get him out of there? And I thought they were going to put Ferguson in. You know, Ferguson get third, and then Jaden Roberts. Uh, Jalen Roberts going to right guard is why that offensive line is better than it's been. I mean, he he is the he was the missing piece, and then of course, Caden Proctor, who is a kid that played against Iowa high school kids, uh, had to adjust to the game, speed of the game, and I think he's done that very well. So those a combination of both of those things. And the fact that the quarterback would quit running into sack and throw the ball. Now, I thought he had gotten better, but I think he kind of regressed a little bit in the, you know, in the championship game. I mean, he's kind of waited a little bit. He took a couple sacks he shouldn't have taken. Uh, you know, he started escaping outside instead of climbing up in the pocket. But, uh, but at the end of the day, that all, it all kind of goes together, right? So the offensive, you know, because I think everybody was like blaming the offensive line. The offensive line gave up, you know, 
the stats for sacks given up is worse, but half of them were created by the quarterback holding on the ball way too long and escaping awful, like the wrong way. Uh, you know, you, you finally, you know, it looks like he kind of figured it out a little bit with the LSU game and, you know, a little bit in the Auburn game, but I think he regressed a little bit, but he'll be better. He'll, he'll throw the ball. But Roger, but it, it, they, they work hand in hand. We hear all the time how uh, every player basically has to adjust to the increased speed of the game. And especially for Caden Proctor coming from Iowa, as you mentioned, not playing uh, against the kind of high school competition that you would normally see in the South. But but can you just break down for us what that actually means? How do you adjust uh, is it, uh, it, it especially if you're playing left tackle like Caden Proctor? Well, I think it's one. It's a couple things, right? So he it was he was probably really lazy on technique because he was just first of all he's a house, right? He's huge. His, he can move his feet, so he probably got away with like every block he did in high school was probably a great block. And he probably had everybody tell him how great he was. Well, you get to college, and sometimes I can tell you where I tell the biggest difference is on his past pass pro. So what happens with young linemen, what they have a tendency to do, and if you go back and you watch the first few games, he kind of would stick his head in there, like get his head involved. Lower, well, once you do that, you're whipped. These guys will whip you in a second because that makes your body lean forward and everything like that. You have to stay back. You watch him now. He he keeps his head. He he makes a conscious effort of keeping his head back and using those big old long arms that he has and put those arms out there. You don't have to kill anybody, right? You don't have to. You just gotta get in their way. And he's a big enough guy can move and get in their way. But that's that's what I'm talking about. So the speed of the game, actually learning the technique, can overcome some of that stuff. Uh, and I think that was he came into it. Because it didn't matter what he did in high school, he was going to be successful. I mean, he probably, you know, he hit that 100, you know, 85 pound defensive end, just probably knocked him on his tail. His head could be low, he could miss that, he could, you know, he could overcome a lot of things. Hey, by the way, I'm sitting in front of a store that says they have garlic bologna. (laughs) Where are you? In the middle of, I'm in the middle of uh, Escambia County outside of Atmore at the Weebick Country Store and Antique. Um, but I don't think it's open. We're all so and I can't get any garlic, garlic bologna. bologna? <laughs> Pecans, garlic bologna, and honey. So if you guys want anything for uh, Christmas, just let me know. Honey all the way, man. I don't know about the garlic yeah. bologna. I I would try it. I like both. But anyway, keep us up to date as you it. travel along here, Roger. Um, yeah, no, I Roger I Schultz. Over on the side of the road. Oh, okay. well, we appreciate that. Uh, bologna's on us. Roger, assess right. the play calling now as opposed to game one from Tommy Reese. I think that Tommy Reese was put in the box to call, you know, Saban's big about you're going to run my system, right? You're going to run my system. I think you got, and I think they, and that's just, this is why I think Jalen Milrose improved also. It all goes together, right? So they're trying to run this offense at Saban that you have to, you know, they brag about, hey, 
they say it all the time. Well, you're going to run our offense. You're going to run our We're not kids. Ain't gonna, you know, whatever. Nomenclature and all that stuff. But what they forget to do is, look, Milrow ain't the same kind of quarterback that's been there in the past. I mean, he's different, right? So you have, so I think Tommy Reese was working with what he had. And I think finally after, you know, South Florida, whatever, they said, Hey, we got to start adjusting. Got those ball bombs and he can run. We've got to help him. We got to craft the offense. So I think he's, I think maybe Saban's let up a little bit, let the guy call his stuff. He's done a good job and they found some stuff for him. They could probably do more, but, uh, you know, you also got to work within the framework of what Coach Saban wants. And, um, but no, I think he's done a good job of now finding things that, that work for Milrow and his skill set. I think that was a problem. I don't think they had the offense for a skill set. Roger, we got a ton more questions. Can we ask you to stay in your car for a minute or two more and hang with us through a break? You know the drill. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'll, t- I, I'll go get some uh, baloney on this break. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. The one and only Roger Schultz started every game but one at the University of Alabama in his era from the late 80s to early 90s. Every game except one. He might tell you that story in a minute. Um, but at center, amazing. All SEC center, Roger Schultz will continue with us on Big Noon Sports. Wesley Financial Group is not a law. It's time to ring in the new year right. Bama, a winner over the Georgia Bulldogs, claiming the SEC title. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Michigan Wolverines in the college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. Our coverage starts at 1 on New Year's Day on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. Tide 100.9. Tuscaloosa weather. A partly sunny, pleasant afternoon. The high today, 65. Mostly cloudy tonight. A few isolated showers around below 53. Tomorrow, mild and breezy. A chance of showers during the day. Strong thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night. The high, 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 65 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Noah Haynes, our producer. I'm Matt Coulter. Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. Our guest is Roger Schultz. Hey, Roger, as long as you're in the area, I'm going to jump away from college football Alabama for just a minute. One of the more amazing things at the prep level this year ended last night when Gulf Shores knocked off the defending champs in Ramsey 21 to 14. Mark Hudspeth, the former, was he at Army or Navy? And then he went to UNA and then he went somewhere else. But he's the high school coach near you at Gulf Shores. Uh, how did he turn it around? And, and it, was there a measure of a cloud over this program all year? Well, I mean, Husband also was, he went from UNA to uh, Mississippi State. He's like, I don't know, offense, defense coordinator. Then he went to uh, Louisiana Lafayette and was the head coach yeah. there for a long time and kind of turned that program around. And, uh, was it Austin P? I think he was the head coach and then ended up, you know, he had a, he had a home down there at the Gulf Shores and he had some kind of young, young kids. You know, he had like old kids and then new wife and young kids. So he kind of got, you know, uh, a little two different families, but, um, 
but they want to be down in Gulf Shores, and he's done a good job. He's got great coaches. You know, Van Gorder, who coached, at, who was a head coach at, you know, I mean, was the defense court like at Georgia, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, was the head coach at Georgia Southern, and, you know, he's been around a long time, been a, a so he's a defensive coordinator, but they've done a good job, and yeah, there was a little cloud of controversy. Uh, it was kind of brought up over maybe some of uh, recruiting or, you know, uh, kids getting an opportunity to live at a discounted rate somewhere for coming there and playing. And, you know, I don't know. It, it Nothing came of it, but, um, you know, so, but uh, Gulf Shores is a good place to be. So when people say, hey, they're recruiting there, I go, I couldn't think of a better place to be. <laughs> really? <laughs> <You know? laughs> So, but they've done a, he's done a good job. I mean, it's, you know, he's built that program. And, I mean, you saw him. And it wasn't like, I mean, they had a couple of really good athletes. Obviously, uh, Ronnie Rolls, a phenomenal athlete. But man, those are just, they're not, they're not, it's not like they're walking out there with a bunch of five star prospects. So, you know. Roger, uh, before the break, you were talking about uh, Coach Saban and, and kind of working with Tommy Reese to get the offense to click. Um, a lot of national writers and pundits are saying that this is Coach Saban's best coaching effort this season. Uh, do you agree with that? And, and in your mind, what is it specifically that Coach Saban has done this year that would know. distinguish this season from uh, those uh, six other national championships he's won at Alabama? Yeah, like I, like I have a hard time believing that his, the job that he did in 2020 wasn't great. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's a pretty dominant team from start to finish. I mean, at the end of the day, his best coaching job is the fact he couldn't figure out he couldn't figure out who the quarterback was going to be. And then when he did get picked the quarterback, he put a game in the offense that wasn't very good. Now, is this his greatest job of adjusting uh, to maybe how things are set? Absolutely. Uh, I think he did a great job in adjusting, uh, you know, the thing. But I don't know if it's his greatest coaching job. Uh, but you got to figure, man, he always has to. He always, you know, he's, look, two new coordinators, right? On offense and defense. That's a lot. And, every, and that's the whole thing about it, too, is when you get new coordinators and stuff like that, well, how do you can be in spring practice and you can be through summer and you can have meetings and draw stuff on the board, but until you get the bullet shot at you, you don't know how you're going to react, right? So they kind of had, I mean, I know he understands and knows Kevin Steele really well, but Tommy Reese is a whole brand new, but but also trying to fit this offense. And I'm sure Tommy Reese is trying to please Coach Saban um, and all that. But, I mean, he's done a great, great job of adjusting. Uh, and, um, you know, he's seems to know how to say the right thing, do the right things at the right time. I mean, sitting Milrow, and I don't know the motivation for why he sat Milrow for that game, because even when you watch that game in South Florida, you kind of went, man, why don't they put in Milrow? You know, it was like, you're like, goodness gracious, uh, this isn't going well. But, you know, but everybody was talking about, oh, let's play Tyson. You know, it's like, maybe Milrow was not the best. Let's play somebody else. And uh, he knew Milrow was the best, and I don't know if he's trying to put a point to all these Alabama fans by not playing him. And then nobody's questioned Milrow since then, that's for sure. And I think they've just done a good job of adjusting. No, Saban, look, for as old as he is, he's not always set in his ways, and that's obviously what makes him a great coach, right? Like, he is kind of set in his ways, but he is willing to adjust and make it. And that's what he's done. And I think he's allowed Tommy Reese to do that with the offense. And I don't know if it's his greatest coaching job, but it's definitely he's a special coach because he can do 
things like that, which is, I think, really uh, unique. You know, some coaches don't adjust, you know. I.E. Jimbo Fisher. Um, I.E. I, uh, Dabo Sweeney. Yep. What about that? There's a lot of being said about Dabo and the NIL and transfer portals and all that. What's the future of college football with all this going on, Roger? Oh, man, I have no clue. It makes my brain hurt. Because now, you know, now the NCAA's come out and they're saying, well, now we schools can pay 30. I, mean, I can't even digest and understand that. And then are these players going to be employees or not employees? Is there uh, going to be a collective bargaining agreement where, you know, the. I, I can't. I beyond my comprehension anymore. Now I don't know. And then dinner, you know, it's interesting. Is like you know some of these guys are saying. I mean, the quarterback, the transfer portal for the quarterback is like. Does anybody going to quarterback another? They just quarterback one year and just everybody just moves. Everybody changes musical chairs. Everybody just rotates. I don't know what. Uh, I don't know. It's just. And then at the end of the day, I thought, well, I thought the transfer portal you could only transfer once, and then. Suddenly, all these people are graduating in three years, and I don't know. It's just it makes it. I, I it's hard to wrap my brain around it. But I know one thing: I'm excited about a 12 team playoff. I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, Roger, this comes uh, from uh, a friend of mine, Robbie Glenn, who played baseball at Alabama, and he 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 co-hosts the show with us sometimes. He was wondering. I think they were there at the same time, weren't you, Roger? Weren't you there in early 90s? Yeah, I sure was. Okay. Anyway, I interrupted Lars. I did, apologize. Did, what did uh, Rob do want Did you like blocking more for uh, a quarterback like Jay Barker, who is more of a drop back thrower, drop back quarterback, or one like Milrow, who kind of rolls out and, and creates things with his, creates plays with his feet? Well, uh, I can't answer that because all we have are drop back quarterbacks. So we didn't have. The only person we really had that would be considered like a dual threat guy would be Danny Woodson. And, uh, I mean, he just, but we just ran out and he was with Coach Stallings, which we were just going to run his offense. It was going to be, you know, so, I mean, um, yeah, we, we didn't even run the zone back then. I mean, the zone, I, I remember playing in the senior bowl and they introduced me to zone blocking. I'm like, well, what the hell is this? I've never even heard of this, you know? Um, so, I only block for, uh, you know, drop back quarterbacks. You know, we were always gap scheme, you know, no zone stuff. So it was always the same. And we had the same, basically the same type quarterback. I don't know if we ever had one that could really run. And, and Roger, if I could just uh, ask one more quick question. Your early thoughts on Alabama, Michigan, and how the tide stacks up against the Wolverines? Uh, great matchup. Uh, when Alabama has to play a quarterback that's a pocket passer, they usually pretty much dial in on defense. And listen, Alabama, and that's another thing. Everybody keeps talking about Milrow and the offense making an adjustment. I kept trying to tell everybody, man, this defense is elite. And the defense has been elite. Kool-Aid McCrenshaw goes out and Amos comes in there and he doesn't miss a beat. I mean, there's not a, there's not a school in the country that can replace an all-American quarterback with probably a guy that could be an all-american if he played for i mean you know it's just that's the difference between alabama georgia and pretty much everybody else is, you know you replace guys with guys um but all that being said the defense is really good i think the defense 
can shut down Michigan. The key is obviously Michigan's defense has played really well. Can our offense get to moving? And I think Milro creates a lot of problems for any defense that because. Um, and I'm trying to think if, if I don't know if Michigan's faced anybody like him, but I really. Plus, I'm not a Big Ten fan. I think the all basically the whole Big Ten is terrible, except for the exception of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State would probably be South Carolina in the Southeastern Conference. So, uh, at the end of the day, they didn't they haven't played anybody, and I think we've been through the gauntlet. So, uh, I like Alabama. And I'm, I'm sure that's not I mean, pretty much everybody expect me to say that, but I just that's what I believe. Back in the day when Roger and I were on the road, occasionally he'd bring a little guy named Ivan, which uh, he ended up with the, the nickname Hashmark, which I just think is the greatest nickname for a kid ever. What's he up to? I know he was playing some ball here. What's he doing? I- well, he is, he's, he's, uh, he's in Kansas. Uh, he's working on his postgraduate junior college degree. So, believe it or not, nobody, I didn't bet nobody knew they had postgraduate junior college degrees. But, um, yeah. No, he graduated with his AA, and uh, he was going to play. He got hurt, so he's been hurt. He's hurt. He's hurt. He's hurt. So he broke his leg, and uh, but he's still going to play football. He just he get he get a he's got a medical red shirt, so he can still stay in junior college one more year um, if he if he wants to. But we'll see. But he's out there still plugging away. Good kid, real good kid. Uh, hey, Roger, go get your baloney, and uh, we'll do this again before uh, Alabama plays Michigan. It's been a lot of fun. Always good catching up with you, man. All right, guys. Y'all take care. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Roger Schultz, as we wrap up the first half of play here on Big Noon Sports, Laura Lee will be along to talk about all things Alabama football, maybe a little hoops as we continue. Big Noon Sports with Noah, Lars, Matt, And brought to you by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage, Mortgage Miracle Worker. Back in just a couple minutes. known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Hi, WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a Town Square media station, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. Here's Kevin Wired. Major League Baseball, the much-anticipated signing of free agent superstar Shohei Otani is reportedly imminent. That's according to John Paul Morosi. He said earlier this morning that the signing could happen as soon as today. Prior reports have said the front runners are the L.A. Dodgers and Toronto Blue Jays. 
in the NFL. Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson spoke to the media earlier this morning, and he said that the status of quarterback Trevor Lawrence for Sunday will largely be determined by how he does in practice today and that he very well could be a game-time decision. And the Jags did place wide receiver Christian Kirk on injured reserve. Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson seen at practice earlier today. He did miss yesterday's practice due to an undisclosed illness. Browns quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robertson is out of concussion protocol, but Kevin Stefanski has not yet named a starter for this Sunday. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Mortgage Miracle Worker. Welcome back into the show. You got Matt, you got Lars, you got Noah, and it's Friday, so we got to have Laura Lee Thompson. You know, she's the Bama broker. She's been with us every Friday for the past 15 weeks, so we missed you. We had to get you on the show. How are you, Laura Lee? Doing great today. Do you miss us at Innisfree? Yes. Fried pickles? <laughs> yes, my fried pickles and my buddies. Yeah, they, I had a lot of people asking if we were going to be there, and I said not this week. Well, uh, Laura Lee, first off, uh, give us your assessment of uh, the SEC championship game. You called it. I did. Um I, I did. I called that score, and then my brother-in-law stole my score for the family uh, bet. So, <laughs> so I, I think on, um, on air, didn't you say 27-24 Alabama? I did. Yeah. I did. And, uh, you know, it was a great game. Uh, the stadium, I mean, everybody was rocking, especially the Alabama fans. So inside, uh, it was really loud. Um, and the Bama fans never stopped cheering. And we stood up the whole game and not as much the Georgia side, although they had their moments when they got loud. Uh, I thought our boys played their hearts out and, you know, we definitely wanted it more. And Alabama earned the right to be fourth in the playoffs. You probably think third. Well, when we were watching the show and they put Texas up at third, I knew we were in. Um, you know, I I think that they did what they had to do. And, of course, I believe we uh, deserve to be in there. I know there's controversy but uh i mean really if florida state had been in there do you think i mean anybody would have watched that game (laughs) so it's i'm happy for the guys and for coach saban and all the alabama fans were all excited did this sec championship game in Atlanta feel different than any others that you've been to. Um, it just seemed like Alabama was playing with a whole nother level of intensity. I mean, it, it felt like or looked like on television that it's almost like they were running downhill and the Georgia players at times were running uphill. Absolutely. And I think, 
You know, it was, as I was saying, the fan support inside the stadium. We stood up. We were yelling the whole game, just like it's been at Bryant-Denny with the LSU game and the Tennessee game. So the intensity with the fans was way up. And I, I really think the players fed off of that as well, is that, you know, everybody just wanted it more. And as far as it being different, um, earlier in the season as a fan, I was walking into the stadium, going to the games, thinking, oh, I hope we're going to win. When we walked into, you know, uh, Mercedes-Benz, I knew we were going to win. It was that confidence, like, I know we can win. We're going to win this game. And so having that confidence, back our defense is elite our quarterback is dynamic and as I said he's he's a very scary quarterback he's hard to cover you never know what he's gonna do Georgia did their best even with you know at times having two spies on him but then he throw the ball you know he made some really great plays in that game uh, that shuffle pass to Isaiah Bond was just, I mean, it's like, where's that been? <laughs> it, it was just amazing. So it it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Are you going to Pasadena? Or should I ask? We are Sorry. not going to Pasadena, but we uh, are already booked to go to Houston. So we Good. just have some family trips after Houston that it was, we decided not to do Pasadena. And of course, we had to order those tickets a while back. And I did not think we would be able to get into the Sugar Bowl. So I figured if we got in, it would be in the Rose Bowl. And with Houston being a week later, that was just the decision we made. And, and uh, well, this is interesting. Because of Alabama's success over the years of going to the college football playoffs, it becomes expensive for fans. And uh, this game for Michigan, uh, being in the Rose Bowl, uh, and Michigan has a long history of playing in the Rose Bowl because of their affiliation with the Big Ten, Do you think that this is going to be a a distinct advantage uh, in terms of the crowd being pro-Michigan in the Rose Bowl as opposed to Alabama because of what I just mentioned, the fact that uh, I think Alabama fans may already be eyeing uh, a, a, a drive down to Houston, much easier to get to, but do you think it's going to show up uh, in the Rose Bowl? And and I ask this because you are the incoming president of the Red Elephant Club, and you have your finger on the pulse of the fans of Alabama more than most. Well, I know a lot of people who are going out to Pasadena. Um, you know, so, and, and I, I used to live out in Los Angeles, and I, trust me, I thought about it. It would be easy, but... I don't think uh, the fan support, um, while there might not be as many, 
Uh, I don't think that's going to be one of the key differences in the game. I just feel like looking at Michigan's schedule and who they have played and who we have played, uh, you know, we've been tested over and over. And I believe with um, that we're and, – and, and I know this may not be the right thing to say, but, I, I mean – we don't know how many signs, like with the whole sign stealing thing, how much that helped Michigan uh, along the way. But it it was we've been tested. They had one game. I mean, what other game have they actually been tested with an opponent that uh, is likely they're equal or close to it? I'll wait while you think of somebody. Okay. Well. We'll, uh, we'll have to do that the <laughs> remainder of the hour. Uh, final question, and we'll let you go. Um, what is the real estate market like around Christmas? Well, it is a little bit slower, but um, I'm still listing houses. Uh, I am actually got all for today on one of my listings. Buyers are out there. The interest rates are the best they've been in months and months. So it's a good time uh, right now because you have less competition and also because the rates have come down. And um, even when they start cutting rates next year, uh, you're still going to see them, you know, you're going to see them a little bit lower than they are right now, but you're not going to have some significant difference. So if you're waiting on 3% or 4%, right, you're not going to see that. So uh, if they drop a percentage point, then you're going to be competing against everybody else who's been waiting on the sidelines, so you're going to end up paying a higher price. So that's what makes now a really good time. And in um, Tuscaloosa is a little bit different market in that uh, things really start to go after the national championship. So I'm stacking listings right now. Um, I have several that are ready to list. And uh, it's a good time. I mean, there's some, you're not going to have some deals per se. You're just going to have sellers that may be willing to negotiate and you're not going to have to compete against so many buyers. All right, tell everybody where they can get in touch with you, Laurie. And get in touch with me on social media at the Bama Broker. You can call Advantage Realty or you can call me at 205-790-7229 or visit my website at thebamabroker.com. Good catching up with you, Laura Lee. Roll Thank tide. you, Laura Lee. All right. Thanks, guys. Roll Tide. Indeed. All right. Uh, we got a lot more to go. Leon Douglas to bottom of the hour. Robbie Glenn, former baseball player. We just talked about him. He's going to join us on the other side of the break. So stay tuned on the Friday edition of Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, 
Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. The Birmingham 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A partly sunny, pleasant afternoon. The high today, 65. Mostly cloudy tonight. A few isolated showers around below 53. Tomorrow, mild and breezy. A chance of showers during the day. Strong thunderstorms. Storms arrive tomorrow night, the high 71. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. What a great day. What a great weekend. I hope you got plans or, or no plans, whatever you desire. I am going to have to eventually step outside with the intention of uh, getting some Christmas gifts. Um, I wish you could just all give cash, but you know that that's just what you don't do. Although grandchildren love cash, that's an easy answer. All right. All that being said, since Lars got all his done yesterday, let's welcome in Robbie Glenn. Robbie, how are you, man? Good things. Oh, I'm doing good. Doing good, oh. guys. Yeah. You know, you can't really give cash anymore because I don't even know if cash is used. I mean, it seems like you got to swipe your card everywhere you go now. Well, <laughs> and no, there isn't a person out there sitting in a cash register or whatever it is now that knows how to give proper change anyway. So uh, even sure. when it tells you. Uh, Robbie, I know we want to talk some Alabama football, but yesterday Mick Gillespie was on, uh, a big baseball guy. You know that. Worked for the yep. Cubs. Still yep. works, does work for them. But he said he'd been to the winter meetings in Nashville and that they were discussing having a larger baseball. Take it from there. That is crazy. I mean, I know they're trying to get the hitters to to, to start uh, not striking out as more putting the ball in play. But, you know, that goes back to, you know, back in Little League. And I think you talked about it yesterday. We used to hit off the tee relentlessly. We used to do hit and run. We used to hit opposite field. You have two strikes, I would widen my stride out a little bit, maybe choke up a little bit more and just put the ball in play to not strike out, you know, go opposite field. They just don't do that anymore because you get the big bucks for hitting the home run. But large, putting the ball, making it bigger, that's just crazy to me. I, I, I don't like that. Uh, you know, batters just got to learn how to hit. Maybe start changing the bonuses around. Uh, if the less you strike out, uh, you get a, a bonus here. I don't know, but. Put the ball in play. Robbie, what are your early thoughts on Alabama-Michigan? Uh, clearly, Michigan's strength is their offensive line. And they are going to try to maul Alabama's defensive line, try to establish the run to set up the play-action pass. Um, their quarterback is highly efficient. Uh, some have him going in the first round. Some mock drafts have him going in the first round. Um, just again, like I want you to just give us your analysis of the Michigan offense versus the Alabama defense. Well, first, all right. So, yeah, that's what Michigan's known for is their size and bully ball pushing people around. But I'm sorry, our defense goes against our offense. 
every day in practice, and they don't get any bigger than what they're going against right there. So I'm not worried about our defensive line handling them. Um, you know, three weeks off, the only thing I worry about is do we – because we were playing some really good ball. I think we will push them around, actually. I'm sorry. I think our power, our size, and our speed is no match for what Michigan's ever seen. They saw a little bit of it with Ohio State. They saw some maybe with Penn State. But they haven't seen what they're going to see with Bama. And I know I'm, I'm looking through Bama glasses, but everyone they're, – they're, Bama's, Bama's real. I mean, they're not the same team that played it the second week against Texas. And I'm hoping we get that re- rematch. I heard Laura Lee talk about she has her tickets. I do, too. I would love to be in in Houston for that game, a rematch with Texas. But we got to get through Michigan. Harbaugh's going to come up with something, I know. But I, I think Bama's going to push them around. And I think win by double digits uh, pretty handily, personally. Well, that's that's the plan. And, you know, two weeks into the season – we wouldn't have been looking at this. What? I mean, we've discussed the improvements of Milrow and the lines. What behind the scenes? Don't you think this coaching staff has improved as much as the team has? Well, I know they're a part of the team. I think so. Yeah, they're, they're a part of the team. I think the, the coach staff's done a great job. You know, I'm still on the outside as a, as a baseball analogist and, you know, fan. And I, I'm like, why aren't we doing more RPOs? We're doing these dropbacks, which I heard uh, Roger Schultz talking about that. He holds the ball too long. and But then, you know, in that fourth quarter, he held the ball a few times that we were like, throw, but here came that undercut receiver, and boom, hit him, and long gain. So, I, you know, it worked out perfectly. So I, I don't know if that's part of the offensive scheme. This team just seems like they got together and got confidence. Y'all were talking about Mac Jones lost confidence. This team got confident, and they're already good athletes. They're already five stars. But you get confidence with these guys, they start playing. And they start believing in the system that they're running, and I think that shows. You know, they started believing what the coaches were calling, didn't what weren't second guessing them. That, that's a big difference when you start playing in these games like this, and it shows. They, they, these guys are playing. They played great against Georgia. I don't even think they played as good as they can. They made some mistakes, but still took the number one team out, and I I thought it controlled all four quarters. So uh, I'm impressed with what they're doing, and we have the number one scoring of all time player in the in the nation in colleges is Rikert. So we're going to be just fine <laughs> down there in, down there in California. Robbie, from a player's perspective, and I know you played baseball both at Alabama and the minors, but from a player's perspective, what do you think the team would say, sort of if they had to vote, what the key moment of the, the season was, what the turning point was, if you could pinpoint... Wow. If you could pinpoint just a, uh, a, a like I said, a, a, a moment in time, a, a play, a speech, or or is that sort of a media-created narrative that we love to sort of uh, try to discuss and say everything changed right now? And usually in life, you know, things aren't that black and white. No, it's, it's not. And I, I mean, I would like to say it was the Texas game getting beat at home. But then they turned around and played at South Florida and didn't really show up. So was it that game that they came together and found their starting quarterback in Milrow and then started moving forward? Or was it Mississippi State when, you know, Miss Terry turned Coach loose and let him start yelling? I I don't know. There's there's so many different factors. But I really think when they pushed LSU around is when they came together and knew what kind of team they had personally. 
defense, offense, everybody was clicking. Um, or, you know, and also came back on Tennessee. Tennessee jumped up on them early and came back and held them in the second half and, and ran away with a uh, double-digit win. All those games are big factors to me. Um, so I can't really pick a, pick a spot, you know. Everyone wants to talk about the Hail Mary against Auburn, which wasn't a Hail Mary. That was just a great pass. But should have been first and goal from the three-yard line if they weren't clapping on the defense. So, And before we get any more, I just want to tell my wife, happy anniversary, Lindsay. It's our ninth year married and 15 years together. And, uh, you know, today was our anniversary. And we have a, we, we have a tough go at the house, but we've always been together and just we fight through it together and love her to death. And y'all know her. She's, she's the same. You keep that house in straight. Both of you guys are amazing. And, and what is so, I mean, of the many impressive things about your relationship is how you both care for Stryker because you don't have a nurse coming in. You don't have people coming in to help. It's 24 seven. It's either you or Lindsay. And I, I have to imagine that that can be pretty taxing just on your relationship and not having the amount of uh, one-on-one time that, uh, you know, you, most couples would have. It is. It's a lot of work. We are attempting to go to dinner tonight. Um, our first one that we've done, we haven't been anywhere as a couple since Stryker's injury. We did it one time. And it didn't even work out. We had to turn around and leave right away. Um, but we do have a nurse that's going to be that's very familiar with Stryker. Um, but we're only going like five minutes away to get some food and then come right back. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's our we, – we got to take care of him. And it, it's it's taxing. And I'm hoping our 10th year anniversary, Lindsay starts listening to me more and let me run more of the household. But, uh, you know, so far, yeah, I'm sure that's that not going happen. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, every husband controls the house. I'm, I'm telling her, I'm, I'm the man of the house. I control, but you yeah, know, she's not on the air right now. I can say that. She's not, she's not sitting next to me. I can say that. <laughs> when she leaves, I'll be talking again. So, uh, now we're going to tip tonight. So we have someone, Victoria, coming in. She's very familiar with Stryker. She's a nurse, and she's going to watch Stryker for us. And uh, we're going to go try and have dinner and, and try and relax and enjoy each other. But we'll can you just hopefully this will our, happen. Our, can you just remind our listeners really quick of what what's, uh, what Stryker's condition is? Uh, Stryker was born with a rare syndrome, uh, but uh, what we're dealing with now is that he had a he had a febrile seizure and ended up um, going into cardiac arrest from it and has brain damage down an anoxic brain injury. And no one ever survives anoxic brain injuries; they never have. Uh, he's actually outlived anything they thought he would. So they gave him three to five years to live, um, and we're in year four and a half, so he is totally dependent on us. He still smiles. He can still see. They said he wouldn't be able to see. He does. He knows when I walk in the room, and that is our boy. He's fighting, and we're fighting with him, and we're helping other people along the way with a golf tournament that we'll do on April 5th and then again in September, probably before the Georgia game. We actually uh, donated a 5000 yesterday to Helena Miracle League with Mary Lydon. They came by and picked up a check yesterday and got to meet Stryker. So we're That's trying to help uh, areas best we can. And uh, those kids on the Miracle League, if you ever get by there, go watch them. They, they play baseball, softball, basketball in their wheelchairs. And it's, it's amazing to watch these kids do that. So, Robbie, real quick, April 5th is my birthday. And I can't imagine a better place to spend it than at a golf tournament for a striker. And, uh, well, there you go. Come on. Those golf, those golf tournaments are epic. 
Yeah. April 5th is a good one, and then September is the, the, my big crazy one. We'll have probably 310 golfers. I already have a bunch of people signed up. Robbie, so. God bless you. Merry Christmas. I know we'll talk between now and then, but best to you. Yes, if you have want to come by, dinner. come by for the weekend. Okay. Come by for the weekend. I'll be at the house. If you want to come by, chill by the pool, we'll watch basketball by. tomorrow. Well, we'll come by uh, Alabama Purdue, and then we'll stay till the Heisman Trophy presentation. Yeah. All right, Robbie. Watch come God on. bless you. Bye. All right. Bye, man. Lars. All right. Bye, guys. Oh, man, it's going to be a lot of fun coming up. Leon Douglas, Bama basketball. I really don't need to say much more than that. We'll be right back. It's time to ring in the new year right. Bama, a winner over the Georgia Bulldogs, claiming the SEC title. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Michigan Wolverines in the college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. Our coverage starts at 1 on New Year's Day on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson bringing you the show on this lovely Friday. 50 years ago this month, head basketball coach at the University of Alabama, C.M. Newton, put five starting players on the floor. They were Charles Cleveland, T.R. Dunn, Raymond Odoms, Charles Booty Russell, and our next guest, Leon Douglas. Leon, when you called me this morning and it said your name on my phone, I got giddy. Uh, man, <laughs> I really did. Uh, how are you, man? How's life? No, life is good. It's good. Yeah, what, very good. Uh, what were you guys, did you guys even think about being the first five, starting five African-Americans in the history of the SEC, or did you guys just want to play ball? Well, we just wanted to play ball, but the interesting fact is every time we were recruited by someone, the first thing they would say is there's no way Alabama would start five black players. And matter of fact, if you recall, a young man named Alan Murphy, who played at Parker, who left for Alabama and went to play for the University of Louisville, that was one of the reasons he left Alabama, because he thought that the university would not start five blacks. And you know what's interesting about that fact is the game we played against Louisville was the night that they we started five blacks. 
and he was on the other team. So That's cool. we never envisioned that it would happen, but during that particular time, all the black athletes in Alabama wanted to go to the University of Alabama, or they wanted to go to Auburn, and we did a good job of recruiting our own people. We played against each other, and in the process of playing against each other, we would always say, well, let's play together next year. And so that's basically how that thing evolved. And uh, it turned out that all the better guys were, were at the University of Alabama. Did you receive any, uh, or were there any ugly incidents that uh, you encountered? Uh, quite a few. Quite a few. You know, uh, you know, for one thing, the N-word was used quite frequent when we was there. And also, I used to uh, get dorm calls at night telling me I would be better off if I was somewhere else because they did not want people of our race at the University of Alabama. And... Uh, Everything that happened to us, it happened externally. It did not happen within the team. Within that team, we all had a great relationship. There was never any racial overtones. There was, everything was perfect within that team. And in my first team, I think there was seven Caucasians and six blacks. And so we never had an incident. We just played basketball. As a matter of fact, some of my closest friends are those guys that I played with my freshman year. You know, we're still tight and we're still good friends. Did uh, C.M. Newton, uh, did he ever address the fact with you guys that he was starting uh, five black players and, hey, you know, you, you might run into some uh, hostile, ugly comments uh, when you would go on the road? No, he never talked about that. And, you know, it's amazing that you would mention that because normally when you're about to do something groundbreaking, people normally try to, you know, prepare you for what, you know, what the outcome would be and and also prepare you for all the negative uh, situations or responses that you will get. But Coach Newton wanted to win, so... It wasn't about black, white, uh, Hispanic. It was about trying to put a product on the floor that would represent the University of Alabama and also be a productive and a good basketball program. And we were a, a very good representative of the university because we had a great relationship with Dr. Matthews, great relationship with Dr. Thigpen, and those guys, they were presidents and CEOs of the university. They would sometimes travel with us. We would always sometimes find ourselves within, the, you know, the same company. So they did a good job of preparing us as well because normally when you're a collegiate athlete, you don't know who your president is. You don't know who that, who that administration is, but... We were well aware of Dr. Matthews and Dr. Thigpen. We knew those guys. And they made it known that we would know them. So we did something groundbreaking, but yet and still the su support was tremendous. Do you guys think, because I do, 
that I know that Alabama had the Rocket Eight, great basketball team back in the late 50s. But you mentioned groundbreaking. Y'all broke ground for Alabama and what Alabama basketball is today. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, you know, because, you know, it's interesting. Now you look at the teams they're putting on the floor. They say they got uh, blue chippers, uh, five stars, four stars, three stars. Back then, all the five stars in the state of Alabama went to the University of Alabama. T.R. Dunn was a five star. Charles Cleveland was a five star. I was a five star. Booney Russell was a Juco All-American five star. Raymond Odom, great quarterback, great uh, uh, football player, as well as track and basketball, five-star. So we was doing the five-star thing back then, and football was doing the same thing because football was great because that first black class that came to the university was basically the class that came in 1972. You know, John Mitchell and Wilbur, they broke the ground, but the other guys showed up, the Sylvester Croom, the Tyrone King, the George Pugh, the Willie Shelby. You know, all those guys showed up in 72. So everything back then was, was, was popping because of the fact that uh, Coach Bryant opened the door for minorities. Okay, so I got to ask you about some on-court action here. 1976 NCAA tournament. Ah. For- you guys beat North Carolina 79-64. Uh, you poured in 35 in that game. You end up losing to Indiana 74-69. Indiana goes on, wins the national championship. Uh, this is a legendary team because they are the last team uh, to go uh, undefeated. How close? Take us back. Re- recreate that Indiana game for us, and uh, and how close were you to you think pulling off uh, the victory there? We basically had the game won. Uh, I remember. I recall it was like a little over a minute left in the game, and during that particular time, you could stall. There was no clock involved, and we was leading. And uh, Coach Newton, our uh, substitution. And the substitution was called because one of our guy, I think it might have been T.R., who filed out. And they put Keith McCord in the game. And in, in the uh, conversation in the huddle was, we're not going to shoot. We're going to freeze the ball. <laughs> but the minute Keith got the ball at the top of the key, he decided to attack the basket. And while he was attacking, that's when they stole the ball, went down and made a layup and made a free three-point play. And that knocked our lead out because we were leading by three at that particular time. And so that's when the referee was able to get into the game. And a, a referee by the name of Booker, who was a close friend of Coach Knight, Made made that call against me, which wasn't a foul. You know, it was a, it was a foul on Benson, and yep. uh, and so after that happened, we you know we kept playing. But Coach uh, Knight came into the dressing room after the game, and you know most most coaches when they win they do things of this nature. He came in and said, "Well, the best team didn't win today. You guys should have won the game." But he wasn't lying, though. <laughs> you 
Although, you know, it might have been just a remark he wanted to make, but it was the truth. You know, we had, we should have won that game. And I can assure you, had we won that game, we would have won a national championship because, uh, you know, that team was loaded and we had already won two championships. You know, you know, we won it. We, we were probably, we're the only school at, at the university to win three in a row. The SEC championships in a row, but we had already won two. And after we won that second, the guys and I, we would always talk about winning a national championship. We said, "We that's our goal this year. We're going to be the last team standing." And uh, Indiana ended up being that last team. But I think if it had a bit of felix called contest, we would have won the game. Leon Douglas is our guest. Leon, you have no idea what we did to the television room in our fraternity house at the end of that game. I mean, we destroyed some TVs, some couches, broke some windows, and we weren't the only ones. It, it was it was robbery at its highest. Um, yeah. I want to make sure that everybody knows one of the reasons that we're having Leon on is because the Greater Birmingham Tip-Off Club is presenting a really neat deal this Monday. It's called the First Five. Honoring Leon Douglas and his gang. It's Monday at 11 o'clock. The public can attend this, okay? You got to buy a ticket. It's Monday, December 11th. This coming Monday from 1130 to 1. Y'all are going to have like a panel discussion. I think Kevin Skarbinski, a noted basketball writer, is going to toss some questions around. You looking forward to that, Leon? I'm looking forward. Anytime I can get together with my guys, you know, I'm looking forward to it because. You know, people talk about, in the content of sports, people always talk about family. That, you know, that you got to create a family in order to be successful. And those guys, we're still family. You know, whenever we meet, whenever we talk to each other on the phone, and we do that quite often, it's as if we picked up from the last time we were together. And there's a love bond in that relationship because we all care about each other. So... Anytime I can be around my guys, you know, I'm sure they feel the same way when they when they're around me. That it's a, it's a blessing and also it's a reunion. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to sitting there talking with them because it's interesting when you talk about the past and when you reminisce. Your vision goes back to those moments, and your thought pattern goes back to those moments. And in a sense, you relive those moments and so anytime I'm around them we get to talking and you know everything wasn't positive but yet and still we talk about the good the bad and also just enjoy each other so I'm really looking forward to it but more than anything I'm looking forward to the fact that this is something that should have done they should have done this a long time ago because we've lost a lot of Coach Newton is gone Coach Boston is gone Charles Cleveland, which was one of the greatest players to ever play at the university, he's gone. And, you know, you look around, you, you you mention those people who was instrumental in what you did and also would have been would have enjoyed being a part of this. You know, I think it should have taken place a long time ago. But you always happen when something does happen. So I guess God wanted it to happen the way it happened. So, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to talking about it. 
Also, I'm looking forward to the people of Alabama to remember that back in the 70s, there was a great basketball team, you know, and, it's, and that team was composed of guys from the state of Alabama. We was not, you know, I call it immigrants. We were not from all uh, all over the world. We were from Alabama, some from Birmingham, some from the country, you know, but we was Alabamians, and we were trying to really lift this, this state up so that people would understand that although racially there was a lot of things going on, there was harmony within the sports family. So we all existed, and we all did what we had to do for the great state of Alabama as well as the University of Alabama. What was that first game like? Uh, I believe it was at Louisville when uh, Coach Newton started the the all the all black starting lineup of yourself, uh, uh, Booney Russell, Charles Cleveland, T.R. Don, and Ray Odom. And again, you guys would go on to win the SEC title. But what was that very first game like? And what were did? Did you realize at the time the historical significance that this was the first SEC team that would start five black players? No, no, not at all. We were only interested in getting out there and, and participating and trying to win. We never thought about the fact that it was five black. Although later, you know, a guy named Doug Layton who used to uh, – be the commentator for basketball, he mentioned, he said, guys, you guys did something great tonight. And we said, what? You know, Alabama started five black. So other other than that, we never thought about it. You grew up in northwest Alabama. Quickly. Do you say Leighton or Leighton? Leighton. Okay. Ozzy, you play basketball, football? Didn't Ozzy, you all were just a couple of years apart up there, right? Yeah, he was on the team. I heard he could play a little. Well, he could, a little. He was he was more football than basketball, <laughs> but he was, but he was a great athlete. You know, he played all sports: baseball, football, basketball, whatever kind of ball we had. He participated. Hey, Leon, uh, I know we need to let you go, but um, I have your phone number now. Will you do this again real soon? Please. Whenever. Whenever you need me, just call. All right. Just just an awesome conversation. And we are going to post this interview and it's going to go viral. Hey, uh, many thanks to Dick Coffee. He's the guy that, you know, Dick's the one that came up with this whole idea. Do you know that? Yeah. Leon? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I, but I knew Dick back then as yeah. well as his father. You know, his father was a great man. You know, I knew his yeah, father. But I would like to uh, just say something to the current Alabama team that you guys are doing great work as far as representing the university. And I only wish Coach Oates and the team the best. And I do think one day the bus will pull up in the Final Four and we'll have a chance to win that national championship because it's not on us now, it's on them. But all the old guys, we support them. We cheer for them, and we hope that Coach O's can do what we tried to do. Well, uh, I don't know how to top that. Uh, Leon, thank you. God bless and uh, continued success in life. Okay, I'll wait your call. Okay, thank you, Leon. 
Oh, Ed, we need to get Leon back on. I want to talk to him about what life was like in the NBA in the uh, late 70s, early 80s and the physical nature of it because no one was more physical almost than Leon. Yeah, and uh, we'll dip into that just a little bit uh, on the other side of the break. we got to get there. This is Big Noon Sports. Tuscaloosa weather. A partly sunny, pleasant afternoon. The high today, 65. Mostly cloudy tonight. A few isolated showers around below 53. Tomorrow, mild and breezy. A chance of showers during the day. Strong thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night. The high, 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming up. great conversation we just had with leon douglas and uh, we're going to take him up on his offer we'll call him again but you mentioned something as we went to the break about the era he played in the nba and i'm just trying to go through my mind and think that meant he played against walden lanier jabbar golly he has posted up with some big big time players of course he was too yeah, absolutely. And uh he was known as a as a player who wasn't uh, afraid of being physical. And he finished 3 seasons from 76 to 79 in the top 20 of fouls committed all the while playing as a reserve. <laughs> and uh also it should be noted, he was the first Alabama player to be selected in the first round of the NBA draft when he went number 4 overall to the Pistons. He was drafted ahead of Hall of Famers Adrian Dantley, Robert Paris, Alex English, and Dennis Johnson. And, um, you know, he, uh, he had a successful uh, NBA career, and then he played overseas. But, you know, he played overseas I, I just, like I, 15 years, Lars. He yeah, I mean, he... He played overseas uh, till ninety one, I think, 82 to ninety two, right? I mean, it's uh, um, yeah. I mean, oh, this is a this is a man who has lived a full life, and uh, and I just uh, can't wait to get him back on, and uh, you know his his senior year at Alabama. He averaged a double-double, 20.6 yeah. points, 12.4 rebounds. I mean, you, I, I never saw him play, but uh, just reading about him, like, my goodness. Lars, um, he was in school my first couple of years at Alabama, and I'm not kidding you. We would stand in line for two hours to jump in and get into the student section and hopefully get a seat. I can remember standing out there in January where it was bitter cold, not Nebraska cold, but pretty darn cold, and just sitting there waiting because these are the guys we wanted to see play. And back then, they also had him and Mule King 
and Anthony Murray. I could go on and on and on about Alabama basketball in the 70s. And if you want to go on and on and on, remember, Monday, this coming Monday, 1130 to 1, Birmingham, the Greater Birmingham Tip-Off Club presents First Five. And you can go to the website at Greater Birmingham, it's B-Ham, okay, Greater B-Ham Tip, Tip-Off Club dot Cheddarup.com, but I'm sure if you just Google Birmingham, Greater Birmingham Tip-Off Club, you can awesome. find your way, get yourself a ticket, have some lunch, and listen to these guys, and I'll bet they'll just do Q&A from the audience. The Birmingham Tip-Off Club is a well-established group of men, and they love basketball the way a lot of Bama fans love their football. They're very passionate and about it. An- another thing about Leon Douglas, who we just talked to, um, was that, uh, for two seasons while he was playing in Italy from, uh, 87 to 89, one of his teammates was Joe Jellybean Bryant, right? Who was raising his son named Kobe, Kobe Bryant. And Kobe worked the games as a, as a ball and a mop boy. And he would practice shooting at halftime. And, uh, in, in, as, uh, as Leon, uh, has said in many stories that, you know, at, at, during our half times, it was the Kobe show. He'd get out there and just, it'd be swish, 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 swish. And then they would come out of the room, uh, come out of the locker room at halftime. And Kobe wouldn't want to leave the court. <laughs> They'd have to chase him out. But I bet he just has so many great stories of uh, Jelly Bean Bryant and a, and a little Kobe. I mean, boy, again, what a full, rich, fascinating life Leon Douglas has lived. And, you know, he went on to coach at several colleges here in, in the state of Alabama. Um He's right. That Those guys are still real, real tight. I know somebody. I'm going to give him a couple of minutes because he was there. He was around. Um, Ira's old school like Matt Coulter is. Ira, what would you think about that with TR, well, excuse me, with Leon Douglas? Hello, gentlemen. Matt, I think I came a year before you. I was 71 is when I came from Ida to enroll and live in Friedman Hall. And um, I was there the night of the basketball game where Leon – was a guest being recruited, came out to center court, 6'11", or uh, just a huge, had a fancy, colorful uh, beret on. I'll never forget it. I can still see him uh, in my mind's eye. But what a what a year and, and era that started with uh, basketball, with CM and then DeWimp. Uh, I was there when the year before he signed, you know, and began his career. And he was amazing. What did you think of him as a player? Oh, just dominant from uh, just and they did jail. I mean, T.R. Dunn, he was Mr. Defense. And uh, Charles Cleveland was uh, he would shoot it before he got the ball just about. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do, but what do I you just wanted about to, that loss to Indiana, uh, to that Indiana uh, team that ended up going uh, uh, undefeated. Just broke our hearts, and, that, and he he recounted it just the way it was. I didn't know the ref was friends with Coach Knight, but uh, he um, he certainly didn't foul um, on that play, and that uh, they should have won it. Yeah. I found it interesting, Matt, that he remembered the name of the referee all these years later. But Mike, 
Yeah. Knight befriended a lot of officials. Of course, he defriended a lot, too. But just a note on T.R. Dunn, and Ira will back me up on this. How many players, I think he played 13 years in the NBA. His average, career average scoring, 5.1. Now, there's only one way you're going to play in the NBA that long is play defense. Michael Jordan once said he was the best defender he ever faced. That's T.R. Dunn. That was Alabama basketball, Ira, the way we grew up with it. That's true. And uh, uh, there seemed to always be a defensive specialist, you know, with uh, CM and, and Wimp, too. But uh, T.R., was it Portland, Matt, where T.R. went? Where did he? I think he went to Portland. Portland, and then I think he finished at Denver. I don't think. I'm looking at his bio right here. And okay. He had a brief stint in yeah. Phoenix, but what a career he had. But what great That's, 70s, you know. Man, uh, in, in a lot of ways, I, I was like, hell, I could go back. Oh, oh I do too. Yeah. Well, roll hey, tide, gentlemen. Roll tide to you. Thank you. Hey, Lars, I'm still giddy. That was a whole lot of fun. I hope you yeah, have a blessed weekend. I, and I plan on spending some of it with you. Let's uh, let's go out there and have fun and everybody be safe and enjoy this beautiful weather. It's awesome. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks. Laura Lee Thompson is known as a...